Luke 24, and we're going to read in verse 44. It's Jesus speaking. It says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was still with you. That's Jesus talking to his disciples. He said, That all things must be fulfilled. Now underline that word. All things must be fulfilled, which were written, notice, in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms, concerning who? Concerning me. Jesus said all these things in the law, the prophets, and Psalms were all concerning Jesus. In verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Amen? So tonight, if you're taking notes, I'm going to be talking about Jesus again, as you know, because I've been talking about him the past couple weeks. I'm going to be talking about Jesus, our prophet, priest, and our king. We can have a good time tonight. Amen? We can have a good time. So, you know, in thinking about this and, and studying, as you know, the past several weeks, we've been talking about Jesus and who Jesus is. And uh, we read it earlier in Matthew 16 where uh, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, who do men say that I am? You know what? 2,000 years after Jesus said that, people are still asking that question. Who is Jesus? Why did he come to earth? Was he real? Was he a figment of our imagination? Was he just a good prophet? Was he just a sweet, charitable guy who had an awesome beard? Hello, somebody. Was he just somebody who somebody puts on a t-shirt and says, Jesus is my homeboy? Was he somebody that they, they just made up and, you know, people, you know, the early Christians, he was really just an average man and he got married and then he died off and then later on the church made him God. We need to understand who Jesus is. And how many know as we've been studying this, it's not important what other people say he is. It's important what the word of God says he is. Because as, as we've seen, there's many opinions about Jesus because he's the most significant person who ever walked the planet. And everybody's got an opinion about Jesus. Why? Because they can't ignore him. So people have to make up their mind who he is. And so in the first week, we talked about Jesus is God. And, you know, even the information we covered that first week, there's so much more that we could have covered. You know, last week we talked about Jesus, the man, Jesus, the most interesting man in the world. And you know what? Jesus, as I've said before, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. You need to realize that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And, you know, in thinking about this, this week, I kind of wanted to talk about some different things other than that, because the, the first two weeks, you know, especially even last week, there's so much stuff that, that I can't share with you guys because we would be here all night. And you got to realize on the subject of Jesus, you're never going to run out of things to know. Like for all eternity, you're never going to be running out of things. So not just in this lifetime, in the, in the next. Because all of time, all, all, all of history, everything past, present, and future, all revolves around one person, and that's Jesus Christ. All of history, everything revolves in everything, their ultimate purpose and ultimate fulfillment finds it in Jesus Christ. There's no fulfillment in this life apart from Jesus. You know, we got to realize this. Like I said, Jesus is the most significant person who ever lived. He's the most hated person. He's the most loved person. I tell you, people don't care if you get on TV and say God. They do not care. And it's funny, they don't care if you say Buddha, Muhammad, 
Gandhi or anybody else. But when you say Jesus, everybody gets upset. Why? Because there's power in that name. There's no power in Muhammad's name. That's why nobody cares. There's no power in Gandhi's name. That's why nobody cares. But there's power in the name of Jesus. That's why it stirs up so much things. He's the most loved and most hated person ever. You got to realize there's more books written about him. There's more artwork drawn and pictures, paintings, you name it, more songs written about Jesus than any other person who ever lived. You know, all of history revolves around Jesus. They split time in half when Jesus came to the planet. They said this is before he was born and this was after he was born. End of story. That's how significant Jesus is. I don't see anybody else on the planet. They just spit splitting time in half for you when you were born. When I was born, nobody split time in half in 1987. But you got to realize this. You got to take a look at Jesus, whether you believe he's God or not, just the fact that he's that significant and that important and, and that famous would make you want to know who he really is. Would make you want to take a second glance and say, well, you know what? This guy's pretty important. You know, I don't know if I believe if he's God, but I just want to know who he is. And we talked about that the past few weeks. You know, I'm not going to go into all the all the rest of the stuff I went into. You can get the podcast. Hello, somebody. We can, you get the podcast from the past couple of weeks. But tonight I want to talk about a couple of different things. And, and mainly, like I said earlier, we're going to talk about Jesus, our prophet, our priest, and our king. But first of all, before we get to that, um, look... Look over at, um, let's turn over to John, the Gospel of John. And we're going to start in chapter 5. Now, I just, I I like being up here, and you know, the past couple weeks, as you can tell, it's been a little different. I'm not as preach-oriented as I usually am, it's more teaching but there's so much stuff I got to be in teach mode to get some of this stuff out because these are a lot of good questions that we need answered because people have tons of questions about Jesus. And how many know a lot of Christians don't have any answers? That's why people don't care. They're like, you don't even know what you believe about God anyway. So why am I going to come to your church? Hello. Why am I going to give my life to Jesus? If you can't even explain to me who he was and what he did. Hello, somebody. And so you need to know what you believe, but why you believe it. So tonight, we're going to answer this question. Did people know that Jesus was coming? Did people on the planet at the time Jesus was, did they know he was coming? The, the answer to that is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Jesus didn't just pop up and say, hey, I'm God. And they're like, oh, we weren't expecting you. I didn't know you were coming. No, they knew somebody was coming for a long time before Jesus got here. Thousands and thousands of years of prophecies were foretold about Jesus coming. So at the time Jesus came, everybody was expecting a Savior to come. Everybody was expecting the Messiah to come. Everybody was looking to him coming. He didn't just come and surprise everybody. You know... That one of that facts alone, and we we touched on that the other week, is all the different prophecies that spoke specifically about Jesus and him being the Messiah, him being the Savior, and him being God, which is over 330 prophecies. That's a lot of prophecies. Over three, it, we're not talking like two and a half prophecies about Jesus. 
You know how the word of God says in two more witnesses? How about 330 plus prophecies about Jesus? Just to let them know, hey, this is the guy. Don't mistake. Don't, don't mistake this. This is him. There's no other person that can fulfill all 330. There's only one person that could have done that. There's not multiple saviors coming. There's only one savior. You know, even unbelievers, you got to realize this, not just religious Jewish people were expecting a Messiah. Unbelievers knew that something was going on. People who didn't even believe in, in God necessarily, but they believed in the supernatural. We see that in the wise men coming to see Jesus. You know, the wise men weren't church-going believers who were studying their Bibles every day. The wise men, it says that they were, they were men from the east. You know, it, it implies in the word of God that they were very educated people, were philosophers, were very wealthy people. We're not talking people who lived on the corner and, you know, was living in rags and homeless saying, please feed me. No, these were very educated, very wealthy individuals from the east that came to see Jesus. So even unbelievers in the time of Jesus knew something was up. Knew something unusual was happening. Knew something supernatural was about to happen. Now let's read here in John 5. John 5. In verse 37. It says, And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his, seen his form. You know, Jesus, in this passage, before we read anymore, he's talking to Pharisees and Sadducees, who were the religious people of that day, who read the Bible every day, who pretty much had books of the Bible memorized, like not easy books like Jude. We're talking like Leviticus, Deuteronomy, big, big books like that. We're not talking about you memorized a psalm. Hello. We're not talking you memorized you know, a couple chapters, they memorized like the whole book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, these rabbis and people. And notice Jesus speaking to them like this. He goes, but you do not have his word abiding in you. People who read the Bible, who memorized the Bible. And notice he says, him you do not believe. Verse 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are which testify of me. Verse 40. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Notice he said, you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. You know, we're going to touch on that in a second. But let me say a few more things before we get going. You know, you knowing this, that all the all scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is about Jesus. Do you guys realize that? If you if if you got a, a revelation of that, it would change the way you read the Bible. Because how many of you know, I've been there. I'm not throwing no stones tonight. I've been there. It's a lot easier to read Psalms and Proverbs in the New Testament. And just not mess with the Old Testament because there's so much stuff in there. How many have been there before? And that's why a lot of Christians just end up Psalms, Proverbs, the Gospels, and a couple other favorite passages in the New Testament. 
But it would change the way you read the Bible if you realized Genesis to Revelation is all the story of Jesus. Not just the Gospels. Not just Paul's letters. But from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. You know, in Luke 24, 44, we just read this. He said, all must be fulfilled in the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms. All that's concerning, notice, me. So Jesus said, the law, the prophets, and Psalms, which if you grew up in that period of time, that's the way they split up the Old Testament, was the law, prophets, and Psalms. So that was the whole Old Testament. That's the three categories. And he said, guess what? The law, the prophets, and the Psalms were all written about me. Jesus said, all of that was written about me. That you would find me and you would find life. And he said, all these things were written concerning me. You got to realize the Bible is not just a self-help manual that you read to be a better person. Hello, somebody. The Bible is, is not something to just make you an awesome, you know, shining, successful individual. The Bible is about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation. And that would change the way you read your Bible. That would change your, the way you read it. You got to realize this. The Bible is for you. Are you hearing me tonight? The Bible was written for you. These 66 books were written for you. They weren't written for God because God knows the word. He wrote it. The Bible was written for you, but it's not about you. Are you hearing me tonight? The Bible's for you, but it's not about you. The theme, the main hero of the story, the superstar, it's not you. It's not Abraham. Hello, it's not Joseph. It's not Peter. It's not Paul. It's Jesus. That would change the way you read the Bible if you saw it like that. That this Bible is not about me, but it's for me. The Bible is about one person and one person only, and that is Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, I see, you know, you see in the prophets, you see how it could be about Jesus. Because, like I said, over 330 prophecies about Jesus. It's all over the place. Even in Psalms, there's all kinds of quotes speaking of Jesus. But how can the law speak of Jesus? We're going to get into that in a second, okay? You ready? Let's read again in John 5. I'm going to read this again. John 5. In verse 39. And like I said, the context of this is he's talking to religious people who read their Bible every day, but don't get it. Because he said, you read your Bible every day, and the, the whole point of the Bible is pointing to me, Jesus, and I'm here, but you're not willing to come to me. And you reading your Bible doesn't bring life. I bring life. Hello, somebody. Just you reading the Bible doesn't get you into heaven. Hey, there's a lot of people that read the Bible and are going to hell. But the point is, the Bible was written to point you to a person. The Bible is not written so you can have good principles to live your life. The Bible is pointing to a person, not a principle. And there's no life in principles. There's no life in laws. There's no life in prophecies. But there's life in a person. 
And that's Jesus. And I love Jesus just called him out. He said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. Because they were, they were priding themselves because they could memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they could quote it to everybody. But he says, it doesn't matter if you're missing me. Because Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy were written about me. And you've missed the point. And notice he says, and these are to testify of me. In verse 40, but he said to the religious people, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Notice, they weren't willing to come to Jesus to have life. Why? Because they loved their religion more than they loved Jesus. And let me tell you something, there's, there's not any life in religion. I love it when people say, I don't like organized religion. Okay, awesome. I don't either. Because I'm not into religion. Jesus never came and brought a religion. Jesus came and brought life and life abundantly. Jesus came and showed us what love is. He didn't bring a religion. So, so go ahead and say that all you want. I, I don't like organized religion either. But notice these, these Pharisees, religious people, they love their religion. They love their law more than they love Jesus. And they thought if they just knew the law and tried to obey the law, that that made them right with God. But guess what? You can never obey the law apart from Jesus. And you can never be right with God apart from Jesus. Why? Because you're a sinner and you fail. No matter how hard you try, you still fail. Hey, the best of us in the planet, that, are, that think they're good, think they're sweet, think they're nice, haven't said one curse word, haven't drank anything, smoked anything, haven't even looked at a girl, guess what? You go into hell just as much as a person who's partying like crazy. Why? Because you both sinners. And apart from Jesus, we're all lost. And apart from Jesus, we're all sinners. And apart from Jesus, we're down the creek without a paddle. And we can't get back up. And there's a waterfall coming. And we're about to fall off. So let me answer that question. I kind of did already. But how does... We know how the prophets and Psalms speak of Jesus. Okay, we get that. We can kind of see that. But how does the law speak of Jesus? Well, you know how the law speaks of Jesus? Because the law of God, which was given... We all know the law in the Old Testament. It reveals our sinfulness. And it reveals our inability to be right with God. So that's how it reveals Jesus, because in and of itself, it reveals that we're sinful, we're helpless, we're unable of saving ourselves, so we're in need of a Savior. That's how it reveals Jesus. And Jesus came, and notice he said, I came to not only fulfill all the prophets, all the Psalms, but I came to fulfill all the law. So he didn't just fulfill all those prophecies, he fulfilled all the law. That's why our, our status, our relationship with God is not based on how well we can keep God's law. Because we can't. Our relationship was, with God is based on Jesus and his ability to keep it. And he fulfilled it. You know, under this new covenant, we're not under law. You realize that? We're not under a law anymore because in the word of God it says... Jesus said, 
the law will not be done away with till all is fulfilled. You know what? Jesus came and fulfilled it, so we're no longer under law. But under the new covenant, we're under something greater, and that's love. You've got to realize the significance of Jesus because if we were still under that old covenant, then our relationship with God is based on how well we can do, how well we can perform, if we're perfect, if we're good enough, which we never can be. But now we're under love. A lot of Christians are still living under law when they should be living under love. And you got to realize Jesus already fulfilled it. You don't got to fulfill anything. How do you know if you're living under law? Because a lot of Christians live like they're following a strict guidelines and rules. And they're uptight all the time. And their whole relationship with God is rules, regulations, obligations. I got to. Somebody's making me. That's how you know you're under law. Guess what? Jesus fulfilled all that. So you wouldn't have to put up with that junk. If you're living like that, you're just like a Pharisee and Sadducee in the, in, in the Gospels here. But Jesus died so we could have a love relationship with God. We can have a relationship with God, not this force, but we want to. That we wouldn't have to come to church, we'd want to come to church. We wouldn't have to read our Bible, we want to read our Bible. We wouldn't have to pray to God, we can't wait to talk to Him. Why? Because we're not under a law anymore. Jesus fulfilled all that. We're under love. Let's look over at Genesis. Genesis. You got to realize this thing about the the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is going to help you read your Bible. I'm all about helping you try to read your Bible. Because I know when I was younger, I had no clue what was going on. We've all been there. That's why we just hung out in Psalms and the Gospels. And that's all we read. A little bit of Proverbs here and there. But... In the Old Testament and the New Testament, you've got to realize the Old Testament is God's will concealed, but the New Testament is God's will revealed. And there's a thing that occurs in the Old and New Testament that's very important that you need to realize when you're reading both of them. And it's called promise and fulfillment. Like I said, there's over 330 prophecies about Jesus and about Jesus coming. And there's all kinds of types and shadows or, or things in the Old Testament that you can read and you're like, that sounds like the gospel to me. Guess what? It is the gospel in the Old Testament. But there's this thing that happens is that the Old Testament will have a promise. But it also has a fulfillment in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. There's over 330 of these, so we're not going to look at them all tonight. Amen, somebody. We're just going to look at a couple of them so you kind of know what I'm talking about. So Genesis 3, notice in Genesis 3, 15. Now, this is literally the first prophecy about Jesus in the whole Bible. We're talking Genesis 3. We're talking animals, Adam and Eve, the whole, the whole works here. In Genesis 3, 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. Now, that's a promise that God gave to Satan. He said, that's your promise. Go ahead and hold on to it. Put it on your wall because it's going to happen eventually. Put it on your refrigerator. Let's look over at Galatians 4.4. Galatians 4.4. Now, this is the fulfillment of the promise. 
you y'all sound like word partners tonight. Word partner club. You know, I, I'm giving you this one scripture, but I got 25 other scriptures in my back pocket here, so don't you forget about that. So in Galatians 4.4, 4, this is the fulfillment of that. Notice it says, um, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Notice the same term, born of a woman and born under the law. So that's the fulfillment of the promise in Galatians 3. Now let's look over at Isaiah. Isaiah. We're just going to do a couple of these. I just want to show you what I'm talking about here. Promise of fulfillment. It's going to help you when you read your Bible. Isaiah 7, 14. So this is the promise right here. Isaiah 7, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and she shall bear a son. And it will call his name Emmanuel. Now, let's look over at Matthew 1. I know you guys are turning a lot. It's okay. You're going to be all right. You might have to ice down your hands a little bit after service, but it's going to be okay. All right, so Isaiah seven fourteen was a promise, and it said there's going to be a woman. She's going to be a virgin, and she's going to bear a son, and you're going to call his name Emmanuel. Guess what? In Matthew 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 18, it's the fulfillment of that promise. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And notice, let's look down to verse 23. It actually quotes Isaiah. It says, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Amen? I got one more for you. And I chose this one because the name of this book is my favorite person on the planet. So let's turn to Micah. <laughs> Micah 5.2, 5, it says, but, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. So in Micah 5.2, it's prophesying about Jesus coming. And notice it says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So that was a promise. Now let's look at Luke 2. Here's the fulfillment. Luke 2. And it says, Luke 2 and verse 1, it says, It came to pass in those, in those days a decree came forth, from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. And um, jump down to verse 4. It says, Joseph also went up from Galilee and out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary and his betrothed wife, who was with child. So I just wanted to give you a couple examples just so you know how to see that because there's over 330 of them, Old Testament, New Testament, that you need to see, and it's going to help you read the Bible. So we see the promise in the Old Testament, but the fulfillment in the New Testament. And all the promises made in the Old Testament were all fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Every one of them. Don't let anybody talk you out of that because that's the truth. They were all fulfilled by Jesus. So, let's look over at John 3.16. Oh, I just, I just went from Micah to John 3.16. John 3.16. Now, see, that was all introduction. All that that you just heard, that was all introduction. I'm actually going to talk about what I really want to talk about the whole time right here. John 3.16. I just want to talk to you real quick before I close about Jesus, our prophet, our priest, and our king. And like I said, there's, there's so much to say about Jesus that just three services is not going to get it all out. But I just wanted to hit some highlights that the Holy Spirit was really talking to me about. And so, I just kind of wanted to answer a question. Let's talk about this for a second. It says, why did Jesus come to earth? Why did Jesus come to earth? Well, there's a, there's a lot of answers to that. You know, the simple answer is because he wanted to come save us. And that's true. But we're going to read here in John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So we realize Jesus came to earth, first of all, because he loves us. Second of all, because, you know, he came to save us. But not only because he loves us, not only because he came to save us, but I want to talk about three different things he came to be to us. Yeah, he loves us, we know that, and that's the reason he came in. Yeah, he came to save us, but he came to be a prophet, a priest, and a king to us. And me just saying that right now doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you. You're like, okay, awesome, you're my prophet, my priest, and my king. How does that apply to me every day practically? We're going to talk about that for a second. You see this all throughout the Old Testament, that the three predominant roles in society in those days were prophets, were priests, and were kings. That was the three main individuals who had authority and who had, you know, clout in the, in the city or the town. If you were a prophet, a priest, or king, people paid attention to you. You know, we see some examples of this like, David, for instance, in the Old Testament, he was a prophet, he was a priest, and he was a king. And there's other individuals in the, in the Old Testament that we see this. But Jesus is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. But how does that apply to my life? That's, that's the real issue. Is practically on Monday morning, when I don't feel like going to school, and I don't feel like, I'm, I, I, don't feel like I want to be saved today, and I don't feel like I want to be nice to people today. And I just feel like being nasty. And, you know, I don't feel like being an ethical person with my finances. Hello. I don't feel about feel like keeping myself holy and keeping my pants on. Hello, somebody. How does this apply to me practically? Because it does. You know, the thing is, it doesn't matter if people just preach messages that are way over your head. Like, who cares? Like, if you're going to preach revelation to me in, like, the seven-headed beast, how the heck does that help me on Monday morning? It doesn't. 
like you might have a Bible college degree, but hey, I want something that's going to help me not just on Sunday morning, not just on Sunday night, but on Monday, on Tuesday afternoon, on Wednesday night, hello, on Thursday night in the midnight hour, my, my, on Friday afternoon, on Saturday morning before breakfast time when I feel like sleeping in. You got to have some word that's going to help you all week long. Or it's worthless that you heard it on Sunday if it's not going to help you all week long. So first of all, Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our prophet. I'm going to tell you how that applies to you. You know, we talked about all the, all the prophets in the Old Testament, but Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Notice Jesus' ministry as a prophet today in your life is this. Jesus, as a prophet, he confronts you and he calls you to repentance of sins. Practically every day of your life, Jesus is a prophet to you because he confronts you and calls you to repentance of sins. You've got to realize this. Jesus is not just a meek and mild-mannered dude who's always carrying a lamb around. That is part of him. He is a lamb, but he's also a lion. Hello, somebody. And people, people sometimes only love certain sides of Jesus. They just want the saving, kissing babies on the forehead Jesus. But they don't want the uh, turning over tables in the temple Jesus. But Jesus is both. Hello, somebody. And he's not schizo. He's both. He's both people. He's a lion and he's a lamb. You know what? When he first came. When he came to earth, he was a lamb. He was a humble servant. But you know when he's coming back for the second coming, he's coming back as a a lion. He's not coming back humble servant, meek and mild Jesus, lamb of God that takes away the sins of the earth. He's coming back the lion of Judah. He's coming back a grown man king. So Jesus is both. But how many know a lot of church people like to have their own Jesus? Like some people like the lamb Jesus and then some people like, oh, I like the lion Jesus. I'm all about just like yelling at people and confronting people and tossing tables over. That's my Jesus. Now, it's right. Jesus did do that, but he also is this. Okay. So first of all, Jesus is a prophet. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament, don't you realize nobody liked prophets in the Old Testament. Why? Because they confronted people about their sin. And you know what? Jesus confronts you about your sin. Not to condemn you, not to beat you up, but because he loves you, he confronts you about your sin. See, our, our world has a, a misconception of what love is. And love is not only going to comfort you, but love is going to confront you. And Jesus loves you enough, hello somebody, to confront you about the sin in your life that's messing you up. And if he didn't say something to you, he really wouldn't love you. Because if something's hurting you, if something's messing up your life, somebody ought to confront that. And whoever does, that's your real friend. That person really loves you. And guess what? Jesus loves you enough. Yeah, he's your Savior. He's your Lord. But he loves you enough to confront you about your sin. Not to condemn you, but to to show you that that thing, 
that sin is messing you up. That sin is going to destroy you. And that you have no ability to overcome it in your own strength. But he's the only person who can help you overcome everything. So Jesus is a prophet. He confronts you about your sin. And he calls you to repentance. Notice, not in an angry way. You've got to hear me on this. Not in an angry way, not in a mean way. Because how many know there's a lot of people that confront people, but they're mean about it, they're angry. That's not Jesus. Jesus confronts you, but he does it out of a heart of love for you. Because he knows whatever that situation is you're dealing with is going to mess you up. And so we see the prophets in the end of the Old Testament, nobody liked them because they were calling everybody out. And you know what? People didn't like Jesus when he came to the planet. Why? Because he was calling out the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was confronting people about their sin. Not because he didn't like them, because he loved them. And somebody needed to talk straight to him. So you need to realize, practically every day, Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our prophet. You know, when, I don't know how many times this has happened, tons, but I know there's been places I've been, there's been people I've been with, and on the inside of me, I felt like something and someone was confronting me about it. That's Jesus, our prophet, right there. And you know what? It didn't feel good at the time being. Why? But Jesus was looking out for me in my best interest. I remember one time specifically, which it was a little bit of the fear of my parents, but a little bit of fear of God on the, on the same end of that. But I remember one time I was in a group of uh, brothers, and we were, we were driving around having a good time. We went to somebody's house, and uh, we got out of the car. And I've I never smoked weed a day in my life, I promise you that. But that house reeked of marijuana. I mean, it was horrible. And I'm like, if I even get near that house, my father, who used to smoke weed on an ongoing basis, is going to smell that from a mile away, and I'm going to die. So I don't want to die. So it was, it was partial Jesus, but it was partial the fear of my father. But I remember... Before, when I was getting out of the car, there were several other people that were my so-called friends that went right on inside. I'm like, hey, we're trying to party. We're trying to have a good time. And I remember I got outside the car. And guess what? Jesus, my prophet, confronted me on the inside and said, you don't need to go in there. There ain't nothing in there for you. You need to turn around and you need to go home. That wasn't the comfortable thing to do right then. And some people would say, Jesus, you're not being nice. You're not going to let me have fun like the rest of people. That ain't fun. It's bondage. Hello, somebody. But Jesus loves me enough to confront me as a prophet and tell me to get back up in that car and go home. And guess what? I got in the car and I went home. And like I said, it was partially because I was spiritual. Partially, I didn't want to die for my father. But I know I'm not the only one who's experienced that before, that Jesus on the inside confronts you, and it's not comfortable sometimes. But he does it because he loves you. You ever have God talk real talk with you? Like God's talking to you, and he's like, real talk. It's not like, I love you, thus saith the Lord, I will send you to Africa. It's like, hey, you got some things in your life that don't need to be there. 
and you've been messing around for too long, letting them be there when they don't need to be there. And you've had opportunities to change and you refuse to change. And that stuff's going to hurt you. Jesus is our prophet. Amen. Number two, Jesus is our priest. Everybody say Jesus is our priest. As Jesus, our priest. Now, this is the Jesus that most people like. But this is a side of him also. Jesus, as your priest, he comforts you. And he comes to save you from your sins and to give you a new life. Let's look over at Hebrews 4. So Jesus, as our priest, he comforts us. We all like that. And he comes to save us from our sins and to give us a new life. You know, we mentioned this last week, and it's, it says this in Hebrews four, fifteen and 16, that we have a great high priest, which is Jesus. And it, it says in verse 15, who can sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice Jesus is our priest. He, he comforts us. He saves us from our sins. He gives us a new life. But he's a sympathetic high priest. I mentioned this last week, but Jesus understands everything you're going through, everything you've ever been through. And he's not mad at you. He's not talking down to you. He's not condemning you. He's there for you as your high priest to comfort you, to save you from your sins and to give you a new life. Jesus is our high priest. You know, we, we hear that term priest and we think of like a guy with a robe on swinging things and candles and incense and frankincense and myrrh and all the above. But the simplest term for a priest, which is talking about Jesus, a Jesus Jesus was our priest, which a priest is a mediator between God and man. Under that old covenant, the priest in that time stood before the rest of the people as a mediator between them and God. And that's what Jesus has done for us once and for all. He has stood as our mediator between us and God so that we could return back to God because in and of ourselves, we cannot get back to God. And we needed a priest. Let's look over at Hebrews 10. You got to realize this. Jesus was not only our high priest, but he was the sacrifice. You know, part of the job for the high priest was every year to give sacrifices for the rest of the people. So their sins could be forgiven. But Jesus is not only our high priest, he's a sacrifice also. And in Hebrews 10 and verse 11 it says every high priest stands ministering daily and they repeatedly do the same sacrifice, but it can never take away sins. But this man, that's Jesus, has offered himself once a sacrifice for sins forever and has sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Notice that Jesus was not only our high priest, but he was our sacrifice. And he didn't have to keep doing it like the rest of the priests did in the Old Testament. 
They kept having to do it year after year after year. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats is not good enough to redeem man. But notice Jesus, he didn't do it yearly. He didn't do it monthly. Jesus did it once and for all. Forever, for all time, it's settled for all mankind. His perfect sacrifice. That we could all be free. You know, lastly tonight, Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king. What that means to us practically is Jesus commands us to relinquish our control of our lives so that every facet of us can be under his authority. You know, most people just like Jesus the priest. They don't really like Jesus the prophet. And Jesus is the king kind of ruffles some feathers also. You know, if I said Jesus is the king tonight, most of you would say yes and amen. King of kings and Lord of lords, I believe it. But do you believe it? Yeah, like he's king of kings and Lord of lords, whether you make a decision or not. But is he your king? Is he your Lord? Why? Because we like Jesus, our Savior. Come on, Jesus, our Savior. He's my high priest, my Savior. But Jesus is Savior and he's Lord. This is a bold statement, but most Christians, I believe, love Jesus as Savior, but really don't like Jesus as Lord. You're going to make it to heaven. Believe in Jesus as your Savior. But Jesus is much more than just a Savior. He's Lord. You got to realize, if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is King, is he your King? Is he your Lord? Let me answer that. I mean, let me ask you a question to, to figure out where you are in that. If Jesus is Lord of your life, if he's really the king of your life, who's the boss? Because a lot of believers, they are the boss of their own life. They appreciate what Jesus did for them as Savior, but they do whatever they want the rest of their lives. They are the boss of their own lives. They are their, their own Lord. They are their own king. But Jesus wants to be your king. Who's the boss? Who makes your decisions? That's who's Lord of your life. I know a lot of us can answer, I make a lot of the decisions. Then guess what? You're Lord of your own life. You're the king of your own life. Congratulations. You don't really do a good job of it. Can I be honest? I don't either. I hear this all the time. This, I love when people say stuff to me like this. You know, Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, Sunday, that's like my spiritual life. That's like, it's like, he's the Lord those times at church, praise God. But the rest of my life, that's like me time. That's like personal time, if you know what I'm talking about. So you're really saying that Jesus is really not Lord. Because if he's, if he's not Lord of all of your life, he's not Lord of any of your life. Hello, that was a strong statement. I realize that. But if he's, if he's just Lord on Tuesdays and Sundays and not the rest of the week, he's not really your Lord. He's not really your king. I love this. You know, a king does not ask you to do something. A king commands you to do something. 
Kings don't say, hey, if you, you know, if you'd like to go get me a cup of water, I really appreciate that. No, he says, you go get me a cup of water or I'm going to chop your head off. That's what most kings say. Now, thank goodness our king is a priest too. Thank God. Because he's a loving king. But natural kings, how many know natural kings, usually in, we, we've heard about this in history, have been ruthless on people. But thank goodness we have a loving king. But at the same time, Jesus lovingly commands you to let him be Lord and King. You know, the reason he, he commands you to let him have control of your life, the reason he commands you to let him be Lord and King, you know why? It's not because he's a control freak. It's not because, you know, he needs it for his own personal morale. It's because he does a lot better job in running your life than you do. Hello, somebody. And he realizes you always don't know what's right for you. And since he's God and he knows everything, he always knows what's right for you. That's why he wants you to let him be Lord and not yourself. How many know he knows your future? He knows the right plans. He knows the right path. He knows the right person you're supposed to get married to. And you don't. Hello, you don't. All roads are not the right path. All people are not the right person. See, a lot of people believe in like extreme that every path I follow, that which is ultimately God's will. Not necessarily. If you're the Lord of your life, then you get the results of you being the Lord, which are not too good. But if Jesus is the Lord of your life, how many know you get his results? So is he the boss? I know a lot of, especially young people, they make a lot of decisions, and I know they don't ask God about any of them. Jesus is not your Lord. Jesus is not your king. You living like that. And how many know he knows a lot better than you know about your own life? You know, I know a lot of people that have went to colleges, have married the wrong person, have been doing the wrong career. Why? Because they didn't ask Jesus to be their Lord and their king. And they were in charge of their life. And guess what? They got the results of them being in charge of their life, which was nothing but heartache and pain. I think eventually you don't have to be old to realize this is that God knows better than you. Just bottom line. God knows better than you about everything. That's why he needs to be your Lord and your King. Why? Because he knows everything. He knows your future and everything in it. He knows the right path, the right plan, the right job, the right person. You know, in thinking about this, practically, we need to let Jesus be these three things to us. You know, Jesus was not only this when he was on the planet, but now it says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he is forever a prophet, a priest, and a king for us. But we can choose to let him be our prophet, priest, and king, or we can fight it. You know, I don't want to fight it. Because him being our prophet, priest, and king is only going to help us 
He's only out to help us. He only confronts us because he loves us. He only wants to control our lives and come under his authority and lordship. Why? Because he knows best. He knows better than I do about my future and about my life. You know, I, the thing is, I plead with you, especially because young people, youth and young adults, we make the biggest decisions in our lives during this period of time. You guys make the biggest decisions. And you know, one wrong decision in the wrong, it, with, with those decisions could take you somewhere you don't want to be. You make some of the most important decisions. Who you're going to marry, what you're going to do with your life, who you're going to serve. All those decisions happen when you're a young person. You know, but if you're Lord of your own life, you're going to make wrong choices every time. And that concerns me for young people. Practically every day, I don't care how little or how insignificant it seems, but you need to talk to Jesus, your king. If he's really Lord and say, Jesus, do you really want me to go to that college? Do you really want me to date that person? I know they're spirit-filled, tongue-talking, a tither, and a nice person. But is that your will for my life? Because it could possibly not be. You could be fooling yourself, and, and you make that decision. You know, everybody that's spirit-filled and looking good in a tither doesn't mean that they're qualified to be your husband or wife. Hello, somebody. There's a right person and a wrong person. And we need to ask Jesus because he knows better than us about everything. Everything. Not just the so-called big things, but just on a daily basis. Like, guess what, Jesus? My life is not my own anymore. What do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to today? Who do you want me to minister to today? What kind of things do you want me to do as my day goes on? Because why? This is not about me. I'm not my own Lord and Lord, own Savior. You know, my favorite, my fav- not my favorite bumper sticker, but there's a lot of awesome bumper stickers. And I'm going to end with this, is Jesus is my co-pilot. Anybody ever seen that one? Jesus is my co-pilot. And I think it's funny. I think it's funny because, you know, I appreciate that bumper sticker. Jesus is my co-pilot. They try to be sweet. But if Jesus is in your co-pilot seat, y'all need to switch seats. Hello, somebody. If Jesus is your co-pilot, that means you're the Lord and he's riding shotgun. I'm like, they don't even realize right now. Like Carrie Underwood said, Jesus, take the wheel. Come on, somebody. But guess what? If Jesus is your co-pilot, you got issues. He needs to be sitting up in the driver's seat, in the captain's seat driving. Guess what? When you're driving, you're not going to get to the right destination. But when Jesus is driving, you're going to get to the right destination that he has for you. You're going to be on the right plan with the right people, with the right purpose, and you're going to fulfill everything God has for you. Amen.